A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I fear that there will be a day where I have to go back to doing normal press and I'll be like keeping secrets for no reason. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome back to a new edition of Collider Ladies Night. I feel like the person I'm talking to needs no introduction. We're all so excited for WandaVision. Elizabeth Olsen is on the show. Hello and congratulations. Thank you. Thanks for I- having me on the show. I am so excited for you. This was uh, these three episodes that I watched. They were just kind of what I needed right now and also not what I expected in the best possible way. So I am very excited to see the season progress. Oh, I love hearing that. Yeah, it's um, I feel like it wouldn't matter how many we we gave people um, to preview because I feel like every episode there is always a cliffhanger. I'm already getting a sense of that and I love it. Yeah. So we pretty much start every episode of Ladies' Night in the same place. Do you remember the very first thing that first made you say, I have to be an actor, whether it was watching your sisters do it, a personal experience, a movie you love to watch over and over, anything at all? Yeah, I, it's so funny because it's such a, um, it, it, it had such a journey for me because I was a little kid who was you know, very dramatic and like mimicking the movies I saw, which were largely musicals. I loved watching musicals as a little girl. Um, I loved Frank Sinatra. He was like my first crush. (laughs) He was just like everything to me as like a four-year-old. The first memory I have is me like doing something from Reese in my mom's mirror. Like I just remember doing that kind of uh, mimicking. And then I became obsessed with ballet and started taking singing lessons. And then I started doing musical theater camp at seven um, over the summers where we would do three musicals a a summer. It took, it would take us less than two weeks to put them together. So they were just awful. And my whole family had to watch three of them a summer for many years. Um, Lots of VHSs of those, of those videos, but um, so it never really felt like a really clear 
moment, it was just always kind of my passion was live theater and all, all of, all of the performing arts. Um, and then when I reached junior high, I felt very stupid for wanting to be an actor because I was a good student and I grew up in LA and I felt like it was lame to have that want um, because I felt like people moved to LA and everyone wanted to be an actor. And I just didn't like that idea. And you're in junior high and you're like trying to figure your shit out and how to be, you know, an individual. Um, and then it wasn't until a high school production um, that I did and having my high school acting teacher, um, we studied Stanislavski and Russian theater and the actor studio. And that, that whole, uh, acad academic way of theater just allowed me to feel like it was an okay passion. It was an important thing, especially in when you study Russian studies, the theater was very, very important to Russian history. Um, and so that, that making the decision to go to college for an acting conservatory was really, I think, the commitment moment. And it's a very long, long answer to your question because it was like a whole roller coaster. Well, this is why I ask it though. Everyone's <laughs> journey is, everyone's journey is very different. And I do often ask about the choice to study acting or filmmaking formally. So when you did make the decision to go to Tisch, was there any wavering? Did you know you had to take the academic approach or was there any consideration of just jumping in and getting started? No, it was, it was for me, it was the training. That's what I loved so much. I, and I had done conservative, I'd done two different conservatories um, before college as these summer programs for high school students. And so I was really committed to like the, the learning. And I really want to go to, I really wanted to go to the Atlantic theater company for school because it's very specific to the writing and telling the story and not about an actor's indulgent experience. Um, it was, it's, it's, it prioritizes storytelling over everything else. Um, and because I was in that school is how I started working and it's how I met my agent. And so it really like it, it wrote my own, wrote my history for me, um, or my future for me by being there. And so I was very, I, like the whole thing just happened naturally in a really organic way without having to like really do the whole thing of like going on backstage and printing out the the auditions that are open calls and um I got very lucky with their with this theater company support so kind of getting into some of your first on-screen gigs or at least uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it feels to me like Martha Marcy May Marlene in particular was a bit of a game changer for you. So I guess does does yeah. that maybe feel that way to you? Did it open doors for you that weren't open before? A hundred percent. But I also think because it was so early in me auditioning or starting to work and not really knowing the film landscape at all. Like I did not understand film festivals. I didn't really understand the... Um, the like financial side of selling a thing at a festival. I didn't get any of it. So it was such, um, I was so ignorant, which is so amazing to make a project from ignorance. Um, Cause you only get that opportunity, you know, one time before a release happens. 
And so I did, I did a really terrible movie called Peace, Love and Misunderstanding while I was auditioning for the callback for Martha. And I was already upstate New York filming that. And so I went back into the city, moved out of the apartment I was renting because I, I was going to be, um, my lease was up and I was like, well, I, I think I don't, you know, I have to live in upstate New York right now anyway. And so I packed up my bags and my apartment and I went to the, the callback with my shit with me. And um, Sean Durkin was so confused how I was able to like leave all my things in the lobby and then do this, um, this audition. <laughs> um, and I didn't think twice about it. It was really practical. All these things had to get done in a day. Um, and, then, um, and then I got the job. And so I just drove from one part of upstate New York to another. And it was the most incredible experience um, I could have ever had as like a real like learning of what it means for like a crew to really come together and care about a project. And the sad thing is, I think to me, like with, you know, I try not to have regrets, but the, sh the film was a success, but I really didn't know how to make decisions on what to do next because I was just so excited to be working. So I was just out of school and, um, to me, I just was happy anytime anyone wanted me to do something. So I just said yes um, to things that I feel like I, I would have been a little bit um, pickier if I had some more experience as a professional before Martha. Um, but, you know, that's just kind of the way it unfolded. That's kind of what you have to do at the beginning. You're not going to have a full understanding of, of even what you want for that matter without yeah. having all of those earlier experiences. So I guess maybe the next place to go is what is the project that kind of put into focus what you want to do with your acting career and the types of projects that are important to you? I know it changes and it's going to continue yeah. to evolve, but did you pinpoint a certain uh, part in your career when, when you felt like you were pursuing what felt true to you? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of recently. Um, you know, I, I lost out on a couple opportunities that I really wanted to be a part of because um, of my time commitment to different Avenger projects. And that broke my heart and I really felt clear on what I wanted to do, but the timing didn't work out with these um, like two specific things I would have loved to have done. And, and they turned out to be great projects that I really loved and, you know, thought, you know, maybe if I wasn't in there, if I were in them, they wouldn't have been as good. Like you just don't know. And so, you know, you kind of allow that to be how, you know, how it was meant to be. And so I feel like when, um, when I had this pause where I was kind of just searching and taking time off and trying to figure out what made sense, I think it was Wind River that came up and then that took a long time to get going because it was Chris Pine and before Renner. And then I did Ingrid Goes West that summer and I felt like, oh, this feels right. Like this feels good. This feels like the work that I want to be doing. WandaVision became one of the greatest opportunities I've had in a long time of exploration um, from, a, from a work standpoint. I, I can understand that. It's so tempting to just jump into that. <laughs> I'm going to creep a little closer, though, because we're, we're kind of touching on this a little bit. Just your decision to first jump into blockbusters, because I never want to box anyone into anything, but you really came out swinging with certain um, certain smaller releases, independent releases, uh, Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, Kill Your Darlings, just to name a couple there. Yeah. 
what was the decision-making process like when the opportunity to do two big things at fairly the same time, Godzilla and the MCU came up? Was that something you were always open to or was there any hesitation to commit? Well, it was a, it was actually a funny um, a, like decision. I had like put out in the world and I, I talked to my agent, my manager and I, you know, and I, who I, are like my mother mothers, like I just love them so much. Um, and I told them I, I wanna be considered for the projects that I grew up like, you know, as a kid looking at Star Wars and I was obsessed with Star Wars. You couldn't peel me away from Star Wars as a child. Um, and so I was, you know, trying to figure out like, how do I, how do I, how do I start putting that out there? Cause I feel like all I'm getting are these like really disturbed women in independent films. And um, <laughs> it's like just a disturbed woman in a big franchise, but um, <laughs> uh, they said, take meetings. And so with these, with people who run these companies. And so I literally did. Um, and I met with Kevin and um, a couple other people that had, that were working there at the time. And then, um, and then I met with, um, with the people who were running Legendary at the time. And there are a few others in different places. And the funny thing is in the legendary meeting, they said, you know, directors cast films. We don't cast films. We're creating an incubator for directors to do what they want to do. And I was like, totally fair. So I just kind of got lucky that Gareth cast me in Godzilla when he showed me this teaser of what he was going to do, which they showed at a Comic-Con. Um, it was such beautiful filmmaking. And, you know, you throw Brian Cranston and Julia Ocean, and you're like, oh, sign me up. Um, so that, so that was, that was how that one happened. Luckily, Gareth came from, you know, independent cinema as well. And so I think that's how that worked out for me. And then um, uh, Joss had Aaron and I in mind for Quicksilver and PH for, and Scarlet Witch. And so he and I both took separate meetings Aaron and I both took separate meetings with Joss while we were doing reshoots for Godzilla. And Aaron and I kind of were like, should we, are we both gonna do this? Like, this is so funny. Like, should we, you know, move on from being a husband and a wife and being brother and sister? And so it all, it all happened very close to the time of me taking those meetings. And I think what happens is you just get in the forefront of people's heads um, when you take those meetings and whatever the discussions are that happens. And that's what happened with Catherine Hahn with Kevin Feige for WandaVision. She went on a general and um, very quickly around the same time they're prepping WandaVision. And she was like the first person they came up when they wanted to cast Agnes. And so it, it is, there is something to it about taking these generals that, um, you know, feel so awkward usually because it's it always just feels like you know you're you're marketing yourself which is what you're kind of doing but you're also just trying to have a conversation about what they're doing as well or what they're interested in putting out in the world yeah sounds sounds like a necessary step to take it's the it seems like the only possible route to really understand what everybody else is doing around you that could be an option to you yeah i mean i i felt that way and i you know it wasn't like i was a comic book person it was just that I loved Iron Man 
<laughs> I really loved Iron Man. And I remember hearing my brother talk about, oh, is this, are you meeting on Guardians? Like he already knew about all these things that were happening that I didn't. And he was really telling me how exciting the next chapter of Marvel was going to be. And so it made me, the way he talked about it made me excited. And, you know, he's not in the industry. He's just a fan. <laughs> He knows his stuff. Yeah. I want to get into what it means to be a supporting player in the MCU, particularly scheduling wise, because you kind of got at this already. So yeah. you jump on for your first your first film, you sign a multi-film contract. And then I guess what happens from there? Is it a situation where like you sign and you're kind of just sitting there waiting until they call you in? Or do you know right out the gate at least a general roadmap for when and where they'll need you? Ultron was pretty, I remember that being pretty specific. We had a film in Italy and then I had some time off. And that was when I think I did Press for Godzilla and then Press for Godzilla ended in London and then I had to move to London. And so I remember having a little chunk of time off in between um, finishing the film in London. But yeah, I mean, I was, for Age of Ultron, I was in London for five months and um, definitely didn't film all of it, but I loved living in London. So I really didn't care. But that was during that time was a job I would have loved to have gotten to do, but they needed me there for the full six weeks of this other job. And it just, it's first position, you know, they, they, that's what they, they pay you for your time. And so to me, you, you just wrap your head around, you know, this, they are, this is, they pay for your time. Um, they pay for your time to do press. They pay for your, you know, it's not just the actual days on set. And I, um, because I'm so happy working for them, it doesn't feel like it's um, taking something away from me. Um, Marvel is a really um, lovely company to work for. I, 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 I don't think any of us can complain about how, how they treat us. I get that sense. How about just from a material script perspective? I don't know how top secret everything is from your angle of it, but when you hear that you need to be involved in a future film, is it a situation where you start and you only get your material or do you get the full script right away and really know where Wanda's gonna fall in the story? Well, I don't think I ever got an end game script. I think I just like showed up on set and I was like, what's the previs battle, <laughs> you know? And then I got, I got, I think, you know, some some pages for the, the very, very end of the movie. Infinity War, I got only my part of um, Infinity War, which felt like half the movie, you know, the things that affected me. So I had no idea what was happening with everyone else. It was just kind of explained. Um, and then with WandaVision, we had all of the scripts before we started tangible and it was just so nice to be able to you know plot your course um but yeah there's a lot of secrecy um but they they give you as much as you need mm -hmm. uh, like I didn't think I needed all of infinity like I like everything else that was happening like didn't really matter to what I needed to know what to do this is my terrible attempt to ask about the next Doctor Strange movie. Did you yeah. get what, did you get what you what you needed for that film, or was it a situation where you got the full script? Um, we I think we have a we have we always are changing right because we're always giving notes and they are very kind to welcome opinions and thoughts and so it's always an an evolution even while you're filming. But we we definitely have a script. But when I was told I would be in it, there I had no idea what it was going to be. I just knew I was going to be in Doctor Strange too. And it wasn't only until um, 
before we even went back to do re to finish WandaVision during the pandemic that I, I found out um, what I am doing in Doctor Strange too. <laughs> but it's kind of nice to not know. You just you just kind of trust the trust everyone, and then you bring your experience of the character to it, and and people welcome changes once you become more involved. I, I like hearing that. I think that's part of the reason why the characters keep growing in an interesting way. One yeah. more Doctor Strange question for you, just because I'm a huge fan of Sam Raimi, but in particular, like I'm a diehard Evil Dead fan and I kind of want to see him bring that irreverence to the MCU. So is there anything he's done for you as a leader on that set that, I don't know, maybe could have that Evil Dead touch to it that I want so badly? <laughs> He's an incredible person to work with. He's just such a unique human. And I just think it's fun getting to work with someone with such um, specific um, goals. And I love his use of camera. And it's definitely like a use of camera that I'm not used to at all. So I guess that might answer your question. I, I'm picturing certain things right now. And I think I like what I'm picturing. <laughs> All right, before we jump into WandaVision full, I did want to ask you about her accent. So yes. is that something that you were preparing to embrace for the character's full run? And if that was the case, I guess is it a bummer to work on something like that only to have to lose it after putting all that work into it? So the Sokovian accent was created by me and Aaron and our dialect coach because it's a fake country and we could find different sources of Slavic sounds. And we want to make sure it didn't sound Russian because, um, because Black Widow speaks Russian. And so we just needed to sound more like Slovakian. And um, so we created these sound changes that worked for Aaron's British accent going to Slovakia, basically in my American accent so that we sounded related. And then all of a sudden, all these other characters had to speak in, it in different films. Um, so the Sokovian accent took a lot of time and I, and I, um, it's not, it hasn't gone anywhere. It has lightened up because she moved to, I mean, everything's been very like, you know, there have been reasons for everything. It lightened up when she started living in the States and in WandaVision, she is playing the role of being in an, uh, an American sitcom. And so it's, she, we haven't got, it's not gone. Okay. It, it's, it is, it is, it is, it is absolutely still there. Okay, that's good to know. Yes. <laughs> All right, WandaVision full force now. First, when did you first hear about the possibility of a TV series that involves your character? Was it as recently as we hear about it, like kind of around the rise of uh, Disney Plus, or is it something that might've been on the table way earlier on in your run with the MCU? It was, it was, I mean, I don't really know when, when they announced it, but Infinity War had come out and we hadn't finished Endgame. And um, that's when that's when I met with Kevin Feige and Lou Desposito and they were explaining to me that Disney's gonna be putting out a streaming service and um, they wanted to connect it to the MCU. And it, so that was, you know, surprising to be like, oh, wait, but we're superheroes. We can't be in a television. We should be on a big screen because this is, you know, larger than life stuff. And then this story that Feige wanted to tell was so intrinsic to the fabric of 
of the format of television. Like it was the story he wanted to tell needed to be told through television. So the nucleus of the idea was very clear at the time, but it wasn't until Jack was involved, Schaefer, who's our creator, um, when it became like fully fleshed out. I always knew generally what we were going to be doing. I want to ask about Jack, but first, what's the biggest difference between the first version of the idea you heard and what we see in these first three episodes? It's pretty much there. It is. I mean, Kevin's idea was, was wand and vision stuck in a sitcom. Um, and they're not quite sure, you know, what's going, like there are things that start to appear, not like they seem. And um, and, uh, and their, and it's their relationship through different decades of sitcoms. Um, and we talked about the Twilight Zone in that meeting, and that is a big reference for us when things start to shift in, you know, the era appropriate, appropriate decades. When things start to shift, it becomes like a Dutch angle or a slow zoom. Like there's no coverage in these sitcoms. So it's only when at the big, you know, 50s and 60s. So it's only when we shift into kind of like Twilight Zone territory, are we able to like come into the shot? Oh, I can't wait to see that evolve now. Um, <laughs> you know, Jack, though, we know that the MCU likes to continue to work with great collaborators. So what is it about her that one made her the ideal showrunner for WandaVision, but also speaks to her potential in the MCU going forward if she wants to keep going? with it at least I think Jack just knew how to ground it immediately and I think she she had the best idea and she knew how to take this show and make it about a very human female experience and it definitely feels womanly this show and this story that we're unraveling and I don't I don't know if um, another, if, if a male could have written it the way, the way she has. And she just, the, she set up very quickly this, um, as all Marvel movies really are, but we really had like such an ongoing conversation about every thing that we were going to shoot. And, um, she was so game to hear our ideas, but also was really good at saying, oh no, this is why it's there. And you need both. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that she would absolutely continue on in, in this realm. Um, she, she really created something larger than itself, um, from this one idea. I've, I've been keeping an eye on her ever since I fell for timer. That's such a cool thing. Yeah. So now moving over to working with Paul, because you two have been collaborating for years now, but is there anything about seeing him adapt to a new style and genre that maybe brought something out of him that you didn't even realize was there before? I mean, he's like such a great physical comedian. And I kind of knew that because of A Knight's Tale, where I told him, I was like, yeah, but I knew you were good at comedy because of A Knight's Tale. Um, and he is, he's very good at comedy. And I like, he's an amazing physical comedic actor. And it really kind of raised the, the bar for me. Um, but it was really fun for us to kind, to kind of play these more bumbling characters than we're used to. Um, but yeah, I, we, 
we really had so much fun. We already had fun on the Marvel films because you are you already feel so stupid most of the time and you have to like kind of be okay with feeling stupid that you're like purple or that you have not real things coming out of your hands or that you're you know doing something with your mind. Like a lot of it feels very stupid. And so this we got to do, we got to feel really stupid, but like in a playful um, comedy way. <laughs> so it was just... It was really fun for us. Does this give you the itch to maybe take on like such a sitcom in the future? Something that that mimics a sitcom kind of like through the decades, any specific one? It gives me an itch to do comedy. That's for sure. Um, I don't think there's going to be an opportunity to do what we did ever again. So I'm like kind of like mourning it, even though it was one of the hardest I think it was the hardest thing I've ever done. I was exhausted and felt like dying, but like I felt my whole body was gonna like crash on me. And then I like flew to England to do Doctor Strange too. And I've never been more grateful for quarantine. Like it was just like a, you know, time to sleep, but it was truly so hard and so fulfilling. I feel like you might have to be kind of like at an 11 from start to finish shooting a show like that. You do. And you're, and you every, and also because the way we were filming, um, it was about three times the amount of material that we would have to get through in a day than we're used to on a normal Marvel movie. It was so many, there's so many pages and not enough time um, ever. And it just felt, I think Matt Shackman used the word schizophrenic and it did. It felt so, it's felt like we were all over the place. Um, but when we were, but we were always really focused on every moment, but like, if you thought about anything beyond what was right in front of you, you, you know, start to have a panic attack. (laughs) How about applying that to Wanda specifically as a character, obviously without spoiling anything, is there any element of that character that you wouldn't have been able to access had it not been for this style and format? Yeah, I think, um, we haven't really seen um, her, her like, like some, like this, like kind of silliness. I, there's some, the thing that I've loved most about this show as an actor was getting to put this character, you know, trust the writing, put this character through a comedy, have her, you know, play the part as best as she can. What we know of her life and the MCU world comes knocking there are these moments of tension that we give the audience and to play with those levels was was what was like so fun for me so getting to kind of play with her as like this mama bear of like trying to hold on to to something and just the the tension of it um with something that you know, is one of the elements that I that I enjoyed. But there's there's so much tension that um, that shows itself through these episodes that reveal little bits of what our show is about. And those are um, those were like my 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 gems. With how much I imagine this is going to evolve from episode to episode, what was Wanda's headspace for you? Like moment one of the show, like when she walks through the house doors, where is her head at? Like I kind of read it a little like a blank slate, eager to, you know, seize that opportunity, the the life that they could build for themselves in that house. Absolutely. Nothing else, nothing else existed except for it's like 
it's like nothing else exists except this moment and us starting anew and, and not even starting anew because there is no other. This is just how it is. Um, it is a complete blank slate as opposed to a clean slate. Like it is, it, nothing was wiped off. It was just, it's blank. Um, and that's how we approached it. And the show um, is what starts to inform the characters of, of other things as it keeps going. I'm obsessed with this mystery already. <laughs> I need more episodes now. Uh, I did also want to ask you about working with Tiana, because again, like I said with uh, Jack, you know, you, you bring in great talent and you want to keep working with them in a franchise yeah. like this. So maybe let's go with what is it about Tiana as a scene partner that maybe brought something out of you that you really appreciated? Yeah, there's... Um... There's such a, I mean, you see this in all of her work. There's like such a force and a gravity that she holds on camera. Fudge. I don't know how to answer that question. I, understand. I can't imagine how she's doing press right now. I can't imagine how you even do press. <laughs> because I really do. I, I, mean, I will say that what I loved about working with her was this gravity that she brought. And then I, whether, you know, I have to, I get to work with it in different ways. Um, and she's, she's a tough, very sympathetic human. And so it was also fun, you know, just to, to do the silly stuff with her as well. So speaking of doing press for super secretive things like this, <laughs> what are, what are some of the, the tips and tricks you've picked up over the years? Like for somebody else like Tiana, who's about to jump into the MCU, what would you advise her to do in order to, I don't know, be able to like talk freely to an extent, but follow the rules? I don't know. It's so so funny. Catherine literally asked me that on on one of after one of the junkets. And she was like, anything, like give me anything. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. Like I just, it's somehow it's become so normal. I fear that there'll be a day where I have to go back to doing normal press and I'll be like keeping secrets for no reason. <laughs> and so I love discussing material. And so it is frustrating to not get to discuss it. I understand that too. But the good thing is I have a feeling people will be mighty obsessed with this show and you'll be doing more interviews after the fact. Yeah, when you hopefully. So we have come to the end of ladies night and we always end with some random questions. And by random, I mean things that just come to my mind on the spot. Amazing. Let's go with what is the last TV show that you binge watched? I am currently binging um, Peaky Blinders. I hear the best things about that show and I've yet to jump into it. Just started it last week and on season three. Uh, solid choice right there. Um, if you could only eat one meal over and over for the rest of your life, what would it be? It would be um, a really great loaf um, of sourdough bread with delicious post-summery tomatoes, olive oil, sea salt, and um, like a sharp uh, semi-hard cheese with um, I think that's it. I think that's all I need. And some, you know, something to drink with it. Maybe like a great white. I feel like I need to build a recipe card for this or something. I like changing the, the flavors in my mouth and mixing different things for bites, but I could eat, I could eat bread, tomatoes and cheese and olive oil and, and wine, um, and have, you know, and hopefully not hurt my heart or something. <laughs> 
It's a really respectable assortment right there. <laughs> Do you have any pets? No. 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 Well, you no pets. Yeah. I mean, I knew we were coming here um, to England. And so if you have a pet, they have to quarantine. Like before pandemic, they had to quarant they have to quarantine for a long time. So it just wasn't possible. I did not know that was a rule there. Yeah. What is the most precious prop or piece of wardrobe that you've ever kept from one of your sets? I like haven't kept any. I haven't Ooh. kept any. No, but I do have this this boat, this glass boat ashtray that has followed around my my homes um, from Martha Marcy May Marlene. It was like a antique find that um, that Sean gave me when we wrapped, I think. And so I, that's. That's not a prop, but it's special. Oh, the, the meaning behind it is important. I have a feeling your answer to that will probably answer this as well, but do you collect anything? I don't, I would say like the, the only, like I, I like getting rid of things. The only things that maybe I collect would be um, cookbooks. Okay. I'm a big lover of cooking. What, what's your, your go-to recipe? What's your, what's your specialty? I don't really have a specialty. I just love, I love everything that, that cooking is. I love, I love um, improvising. I love Mediterranean food. Um, I love small uh, things that you can pick on all uh, afternoon and night long. And um that I love making like fish stock and I love making mussels. Like, I don't, like, I just love making food. <laughs> you could have named one dish and I would have been hugely impressed as a non. <laughs> I wish I had that same itch. All right, I'll go with a silly one before our big finish. Would we play a would you rather game on Collider, a uh, filmmaking one? And I always ask, would you rather have to fake vomit in a scene or fake sneeze? Vomit. Okay. You have way more help with props um, for the vomit. The sneezing is, it's hard to sell a sneeze. Yeah, when I first wrote that question, I'm like, I'm never doing a fake vomit. But then I thought about trying to do a convincing fake sneeze. I'm like, wow, that actually, that's a problem. I have done a fake vomit. I just didn't make the movie. And um, it was disgusting. <laughs> well, what was your <laughs> fake vomit? I think it was like an, a dyed oatmeal or something, like oatmeal with like turmeric or something. Mm, okay. I mean, it could be more unpleasant than that. So I yeah, guess I don't know why it just grossed me out. The whole thing grossed me out so much. What movie was that for? It's for Martha, but it never made it. Huh. Interesting. Okay. All right. This last one here, it, it's a little bit of a deep question. You could keep it light if you want, but we always end on this. What is the biggest fear that you've had that you've actually managed to overcome? Um... Well, one of my biggest fears is, is being um, on stage as myself, not like in a play in front of a live audience, like, you know, doing those presenter things or talk, giving a speech. And I have not yet overcome that. And I would like to, um, I, you know what, I, I, I think I had a really hard time um doing nothing and it felt and I would kind of spiral into like you know depressed states of like you know com comparing your 
brain to like, well, I'm not doing enough or, other, you know, I have nothing to do, you know, kind of reflecting it on yourself. And I think this pandemic time has um, made me very comfortable in like a healthy way of, of being okay with doing nothing. I like that look on that. And you know, the only other person who said the presenter thing was actually Sarah Paulson. She said the same thing to me. Yeah, I found that interesting. Did she do it though? I look at both of you and I just see, you know, like a whole lot of confidence and I would feel like that would be easy for you both. So when she said that, I got, I was very surprised. I I have literally blacked out um, trying to do things like that. And it's become like a rule that um, I don't do it. And every time we're like, what about this one? Because it's not live taped. Um, I totally freak out and hate it. And I'm like, never again. I hate it so much. I feel like when I do stuff like that, I black out too. But when I come back to like, it just, it like it happened. Like I black out and don't realize that I actually did it. <laughs> right. That's how I feel. But I always, my voice like wants to cry when I do it. Like the whole thing is miserable. <laughs> Anytime I've seen you do it, you are totally fine. But in WandaVision, you are exceptional. So is Paul. The show is such a delight. It's a delight that I didn't expect from the MCU, which is why I love that franchise so much. Keep taking big swings. Elizabeth, congratulations again. Thank you so much for uh, hanging out with us on Ladies Night. Thank you for having me. This was a fun interview to get to do. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.